Section 9 of The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. Translated from the German by Marian Evans. Chapter 6 The Mystery of the Trinity and of the Mother of God. If a God without feeling, without a capability of suffering, will not suffice to man as a feeling suffering being, neither will a God with feeling only, a God without intelligence and will. Only a being who comprises in himself the whole man can satisfy the whole man. Man's consciousness of himself in his totality is the consciousness of the Trinity. The Trinity knits together the qualities or powers which were before regarded separately into unity and thereby reduces the universal being of the understanding, i.e., God as God, to a special being, a special faculty. That which theology designates as the image, the similitude of the Trinity, we must take as the thing itself, the essence, the archetype, the original. By this means we shall solve the enigma. The so-called images by which it has been sought to illustrate the Trinity and make it comprehensible are principally mind, understanding, memory, will, love. Men's intellectus memoria voluntas amor or caritas god thinks god loves and moreover he thinks he loves himself the object of thought known loved is god himself the objectivity of self-consciousness is the first thing we meet with in the trinity Self-consciousness necessarily urges itself upon man as something absolute. Existence is for him one with self-consciousness. Existence with self-consciousness is for him existence simply. If I do not know that I exist, it is all one whether I exist or not. Self-consciousness is for man, is in fact in itself absolute. A God who knows not his own existence, a God without consciousness, is no God. Man cannot conceive himself as without consciousness. Hence, he cannot conceive God as without it. The divine self-consciousness is nothing else than the consciousness of consciousness, as an absolute or divine essence. But this explanation is by no means exhaustive. On the contrary, we should be proceeding very arbitrarily if we sought to reduce and limit the mystery of the Trinity to the proposition just laid down. Consciousness, understanding, will, love, in the sense of abstract essences or qualities, belong only to abstract philosophy. But religion is man's consciousness of himself in his concrete or living totality, in which the identity of self-consciousness exists only as the pregnant, complete unity of I 
and thou. Religion, at least the Christian, is abstraction from the world. It is essentially inward. The religious man leads a life withdrawn from the world, hidden in God, still void of worldly joy. He separates himself from the world, not only in the ordinary sense according to which the renunciation of the world belongs to every true earnest man, but also in that wider sense which science gives to the word when it calls itself world wisdom, Weltweisheit. But he thus separates himself only because God is a being separate from the world, an extra and supramundane being, i.e., abstractly and philosophically expressed, the non-existence of the world. God, as an extra-mundane being, is, however, nothing else than the nature of man withdrawn from the world and concentrated in itself, freed from all worldly ties and entanglements, transporting itself above the world, and positing itself in this condition as a real objective being or nothing else than the consciousness of the power to abstract oneself from all that is external and to live for and with oneself alone under the form which this power takes in religion namely that of a being distinct apart from man god as god as a simple being is the being absolutely alone solitary absolute solitude and self-sufficingness, for that only can be solitary which is self-sufficing. To be able to be solitary is a sign of character and thinking power. Solitude is the want of the thinker, society the want of the heart. We can think alone, but we can love only with another. In love we are dependent, for it is the need of another being. We are independent only in the solitary act of thought. Solitude is self-sufficingness. But from a solitary God, the essential need of duality, of love, of community, of the real, completed self-consciousness of the alter ego, is excluded. This want is therefore satisfied by religion thus in the still solitude of the divine being is placed another a second different from god as to personality but identical with him in essence god the son in distinction from god the father god the father is i god the son thou the i is understanding the thou love but love with understanding and understanding with love is mind and mind is the totality of man as such the total man participated life is alone true self-satisfying divine life this simple thought this truth natural imminent in man is the secret the supernatural mystery of the trinity but religion expresses this truth as it does every other in an indirect manner i e inversely for it here makes a general truth into a particular one 
the true subject into a predicate when it says god is a participated life a life of love and friendship the third person in the trinity expresses nothing further than the love of the two divine persons towards each other it is the unity of the son and the father the idea of community strangely enough regarded in its turn as a special personal being the holy spirit owes its personal existence only to a name a word the earliest fathers of the church are well known to have identified the spirit with the son even later its dogmatic personality wants consistency he is the love with which god loves himself and man and on the other hand he is the love with which man loves god and men thus he is the identity of god and man made objective according to the usual mode of thought in religion namely as in itself a distinct being but for us this unity or identity is already involved in the idea of the father and yet more in that of the son hence we need not make the holy spirit a separate object of our analysis only this one remark further in so far as the holy spirit represents the subjective phase he is properly the representation of the religious sentiment to itself the representation of religious emotion of religious enthusiasm or of personification the rendering objective of religion is religion the holy spirit is therefore the sighing creature the yearning of the creature after god but that there are in fact only two persons in the trinity the third representing as has been said only love is involved in this that to the strict idea of love to suffice with two we have the principal multiplicity and all its essential results two is the principle of multiplicity and can therefore stand as the complete substitute if several persons were posited the force of love would only be weakened it would be dispersed but love and the heart are identical the heart is no special power it is the man who loves and in so far as he loves the second person is therefore the self-assertion of the human heart as the principle of duality of participated life it is warmth the father is light although light was chiefly a predicate of the son because in him the godhead first became clear comprehensible but notwithstanding this light as a superterrestrial element may be ascribed to the father the representative of the godhead as such the cold being of the intelligence and warmth as a terrestrial element to the sun god as the sun first gives warmth to man here god from an object of the intellectual eye of the indifferent sense of light becomes an object of feeling of affection of enthusiasm of rapture but only because the sun is himself nothing else than the glow of love enthusiasm god as the son is the primitive incarnation the primitive self-renunciation of god the negation of god in god 
for as the sun he is a finite being because he exists ab alio he has a source whereas the father has no source he exists a se thus in the second person the essential attribute of the godhead the attribute of self-existence is given up but god himself begets the son thus he renounces his rigorous exclusive divinity he humiliates lowers himself evolves within himself the principle of finiteness of dependent existence in the son he becomes man not indeed in the first instance as to the outward form but as to the inward nature as for this reason it is as the son that god first becomes the object of man the object of feeling of the heart the heart comprehends only what springs from the heart from the character of the subjective disposition and impressions the conclusion is infallible as to the character of the object the pure free understanding denies the son not so the understanding determined by feeling overshadowed by the heart on the contrary it finds in the son the depths of the godhead because in him it finds feeling which in and by itself is something dark obscure and therefore appears to man a mystery the son lays hold on the heart because the true father of the divine son is the human heart and the son himself nothing else than the divine heart i e the human heart become objective to itself as a divine being a god who has not in himself the quality of finiteness the principle of concrete existence the essence of the feeling of dependence is no god for a finite concrete being the religious man cannot love a god who has not the essence of love in himself neither can man or in general any finite being be an object to a god who has not in himself the ground the principle of finiteness to such a god there is wanting the sense the understanding the sympathy for finiteness how can god be the father of men how can he love other beings subordinate to himself if he has not in himself a subordinate being a son if he does not know what love is so to speak from his own experience in relationship to himself the single man takes far less interest in the family sorrows of another than he who himself has family ties thus god the father loves men only in the son and for the sake of the son the love to man is derived from the love to the son the father and son in the trinity are therefore father and son not in a figurative sense but in a strictly literal sense the father is a real father in relation to the son the son is a real son in relation to the father or to god the father the essential personal distinction between them consists only in this that the one begets the other is begotten if this natural empirical condition is taken away their personal existence and reality are annihilated 
The Christians, we mean, of course, the Christians of former days, who would with difficulty recognize the worldly, frivolous, pagan Christians of the modern world as their brethren in Christ, substituted for the natural love and unity imminent in man a purely religious love and unity. They rejected the real life of the family, the intimate bond of love which is naturally moral, as an undivine, unheavenly, i.e. in truth a worthless thing. But in compensation they had a father and a son in God who embraced each other with heartfelt love, with that intense love which natural relationship alone inspires. On this account, the mystery of the Trinity was to the ancient Christians an object of unbounded wonder, enthusiasm, and rapture, because here the satisfaction of those profoundest human wants, which in reality, in life they denied, became to them an object of contemplation in God. It was therefore quite in order that to complete the divine family a bond of love between father and son a third, and that a feminine person, was received into heaven. For the personality of the Holy Spirit is a too vague and precarious, a too obvious poetic manifestation of the mutual love of the Father and Son to serve as a third complementary being. It is true that the Virgin Mary was not so placed between the Father and the Son as to imply the Father had begotten the Son through her, because the sexual relation was regarded by the Christians as something unholy and sinful. But it is enough that the maternal principle was associated with the father and son. It is, in fact, difficult to perceive why the mother should be something unholy, i.e. unworthy of God, when once God is father and son. Though it is held that the father is not a father in the natural sense, that, on the contrary, the divine generation is quite different from the natural and human. Still, he remains a father, and a real, not a nominal or a symbolical father in relation to the Son. And the idea of the mother of God, which now appears so strange to us, is therefore not really more strange or paradoxical than the idea of the Son of God is not more in contradiction with the general abstract definition of God than the sonship. On the contrary, the Virgin Mary fits in perfectly with the relations of the Trinity, since she conceives without man the Son, whom the Father begets without a woman. So that thus the Holy Virgin is a necessary, inherently requisite antithesis to the Father in the bosom of the Trinity. Moreover, we have, if not in concreto, and explicitly, yet in abstracto, and implicitly, the feminine principle already in the Son. The Son is the mild, gentle, forgiving, conciliating being, the womanly sentiment of God. God, as the Father, is the generator, the active, the principle of masculine spontaneity. But the Son is begotten, without himself begetting, Deus genitus, 
the passive, suffering, receptive being, he receives his existence from the Father. The Son, as a Son, of course, not as God, is dependent on the Father, subject to his authority. The Son is thus the feminine feeling of dependence in the Godhead. The Son implicitly urges upon us the need of a real feminine being. The Son, I mean the natural human Son, considered as such, is an intermediate being between the masculine nature of the father and the feminine nature of the mother. He is, as it were, still half a man, half a woman, inasmuch as he has not the full, rigorous consciousness of independence which characterizes the man, and feels himself drawn rather to the mother than to the father. The love of the son to the mother is the first love of the masculine being for the feminine. The love of a man to woman, the love of the youth for the maiden, receives its religious, its soul truly religious consecration in the love of the son to the mother. The son's love for his mother is the first yearning of man towards woman, his first humbling of himself before her. Necessarily, therefore, the idea of the mother of God is associated with the idea of the Son of God. The same heart that needed the one needed the other also. Where the Son is, the mother cannot be absent. The Son is the only begotten of the Father, but the mother is the concomitant of the Son. The son is a substitute for the mother to the father, but not so the father to the son. To the son the mother is indispensable. The heart of the son is the heart of the mother. Why did God become man only through woman? Could not the Almighty have appeared as a man amongst men in another manner, immediately? Why did the son betake himself to the bosom of the mother? For what other reason than because the son is the yearning after the mother? Because his womanly, tender heart found a corresponding expression only in a feminine body? Is it true that the son, as a natural man, dwells only temporarily in the shrine of this body, but the impressions which he here receives are inextinguishable? The mother is never out of the mind and heart of the son. If, then, the worship of the Son of God is no idolatry, the worship of the Mother of God is no idolatry. If herein we perceive the love of God to us, that he gave us his only begotten Son, i.e., that which was dearest to him for our salvation, we can perceive this love still better when we find in God the beating of a mother's heart. The highest and deepest love is the mother's love. The father consoles himself for the loss of his son. He has a stoical principle within him. The mother, on the contrary, is inconsolable. She is the sorrowing element, that which cannot be indemnified, the true in love. Where faith in the mother of God sinks, there also sinks faith in the Son of God, and in God as the Father. The Father is a truth only where the Mother is a truth. 
love is in and by itself essentially feminine in its nature the belief in the love of god is the belief in the feminine principle as divine love apart from loving nature is an anomaly a phantom behold in love the holy necessity and depth of nature protestantism has set aside the mother of god but this deposition of woman has been severely avenged the arms which it has used against the mother of god have turned against itself against the son of god against the whole trinity he who once offered up the mother of god to the understanding is not far from sacrificing the mystery of the son of god as an anthropomorphism the anthropomorphism is certainly veiled when the feminine being is excluded but only veiled not removed it is true that protestantism has no need of the heavenly bride because it received with open arms the earthly bride but for that very reason it ought to have been consequent and courageous enough to give up not only the mother but the son and the father only he who has no earthly parents needs heavenly ones the triune god is the god of catholicism he has a profound heartfelt necessary truly religious significance only in antithesis to the negation of all substantial bonds in antithesis to the life of the anchorite the monk and the nun the triune god has a substantial meaning only where there is an abstraction from the substance of real life the more empty life is the fuller the more concrete is god the impoverishing of the real world and the enriching of god is one act only the poor man has a rich god god springs out of the feeling of a want what man is in need of whether this be a definite and therefore conscious or unconscious need that is god thus the disconsolate feeling of a void of loneliness needed a god in whom there is society a union of beings fervently loving each other here we have the true explanation of the fact that the trinity has in modern times lost first its practical and ultimately its theoretical significance End of section 9